Hello and welcome to this BAFTA Crew Games podcast in partnership with Welcome. Events like these are part of a professional development programme designed to support emerging talent. Joining BAFTA Crew Games offers access to industry talent and an exclusive programme of masterclasses and livestream Q&As with BAFTA winners and nominees who share insight into their practical and creative process. Here's the host of the roundtable, Alicia Judge. We're going to be talking about some pretty big issues today, kind of about how we really transport games and look at them not just as forms of entertainment, but actually how we can bring real-world issues like science and health and put them into the games that we design. Um, a good place to start would be to go around and just have you guys introduce yourself. So do you want to start with you? Hello. <laughs> uh, my name is Ollie Kay. I'm the Associate Creative Director at a uh, studio called All Seeing Eye. Um, our game is called Seed, and it's a virtual reality game where players can um, breed and grow procedural plant life. Hello, my name's Rob McLaughlin. I'm director at Lost Forest Games, and our game is called Winter Hall, and it's about traveling back in time to the time of the Black Death and uh, exploring the legacy of the pandemic. Hello, everyone. My name is Elisa Di Lorenzo. I'm one of the founders of Untold Games. Our game is called Terramars, and it's a strategy survival game about the first human mission to Mars. So a little bit like the themes on Mars, but focused on how they adapt and survive on the planet. So you've created these three games, but as part of a competition by the Wellcome Trust, can you tell us a little bit about that competition and what it is? Sure. So Developing Beyond is a competition run by the Wellcome Trust and Epic. Uh, so it's based around the Unreal Engine, which Epic make, and um, what, we, what it's meant to do is to bring together this, the world of games with the world of science and health, and that's the most important thing, to engage people in the story of science and health. So the, the, original, the original theme of Developing Beyond and the, the kind of original commission was all the games had to be about transformations, so we all had to propose kind of concepts for games that in some way were interesting use of transformations. Interesting. And also in um, and how working with scientists and using actual science to, to drive the gameplay, so creating gameplay based on actual science and working yeah. with the real researchers. Well, bringing this element of realism yeah. into the games that we play. Without losing the you know, the fun of it being a game. So yeah. finding the right balance yeah. between actual science and real stuff that people can actually enjoy and get to know and discover thanks to, to the games. When you guys were designing your games, what was the most important thing for you to consider when you were looking at this idea of transformation? Like, where did you begin? I think for us, the most important thing was to be making a game that we felt really passionately, strongly about in that we believed that it was... Uh, a story that was worth telling and was an experience that we thought people should, should play. Um, so I think that was, that was the overriding concern for us, is to, is to make something that we really enjoy making. And, uh, and I think you're completely right. If you do create something that is um, something that you know, you'd have to force children to play, for example, or force people to play to, to learn the lessons, then it's, it's not succeeding, because the power of games is to... Um, is to sort of, by a process of osmosis, drive the, you know, move the learning into people without them realizing they're being taught. Yeah, it's not, there's that kind of awful term, edutainment, yeah. you know, and it's about making something which 
touches upon real issues in an interesting way and kind of leverages uh, scientific fact or, or, or things about the real world in an experience in a kind of cohesive way, mm. rather than sort of the game acting as a device to deliver facts to the player. Mm. Um, it's about trying to bring those things together in a balanced way to make a, a rounded experience. Mm -hmm. So, Ollie, what was the real world experience that you were trying to bring into your game? So, as a part of um, Developing Beyond, all of the teams collaborated with um, a researcher or a series of researchers. And we um, are collaborating with um, a wonderful um, researcher called um, Helen Ann Carey from Cambridge. And um, her research historically has been about the history of plant breeding. She coined this kind of beautiful term, garage biotech, which is um, a group of um, biohackers working from the kind of early 40s to the 60s and up to now who were kind of breeding plants in their garages or their studios or their garden sheds. And make, she makes a great parallel between people who are into sort of model rocketry or sort of ham radio as kind of hobbyist botanists. And all of our game is, it comes from those, it comes from those, those stories and those concepts and the things that people did, for instance, using a radioactive source to mutate a plant. There was a, a guy in the 60s who scraped the um, radioactive um, radium off clock faces and used that to kind of mutate plants. So, so in, in our... Sounds safe. Well, yeah, yeah, don't breathe that, right? Um, but there, there's a kind of naivety and a sort of like a playfulness and a curiosity in, in that. And the, what we're trying to capture in, in our game is... Um, the kind of spirit of curiosity these people had that in, in trying this mad, mad new things with science in, in, a, in a kind of non-professional capacity and being playful with it. And that's what we try to sort of capture in our game as well. And you have a wonderful platform for that because it's virtual reality, right? Yeah. So our game is a virtual reality game where, you know, it allows us to make it immersive. Obviously, the, the whole idea is that you can just appear in this workshop and be in this workshop and, and play with the place and interact with things and open drawers and pick up tools. There's no controls to learn or, or walls of text and tutorials to run through it. Just it should be kind of intuitive and, and playful is yeah. our kind of goal. So, so all, of the, all of the messaging in the world is diegetic. Um, you kind of read things and, and, and people talk to you and things like that. There's some interesting problems, though, surely, that are thrown up by developing a realistic game in virtual reality, or, or a game that is ostensibly trying to bring in elements of reality. Because the thing with virtual reality is that you can't always accurately reflect the world around you. Because say if you're you know, using a seed, how do you kind of make sure that a seed that's so, so tiny in real life is still able to be found and stuff in, yeah, a, exactly. in a virtual so, space? So, so we bend the rules, and it's our game is not realistic. It, it draws, every mechanic in our game, draw, you can draw a thread to the real world example. Mm. Um, but we make compromises uh, to make it appropriate for use in a virtuality context. So um, like say the size of seeds, um, you know, the, the minimum size object you want to be interacting with in VR is like say the size of a ping pong ball. So we, we scale up things to that. Um, kind of the processes of, the real world process of cross-pollination between plants as you use tweezers or a small brush or something like that. But these are kind of really dexterous, minute tasks which aren't really approachable in a relatively clunky sort of Vive or Oculus. So all those, those, those processes are extrapolated to mechanics which are simple button presses mm -hmm. or things like that. So there's always, we're always kind of viewing the activities the player 
performs in the game through the lens of it being a VR experience rather than being a screen-based experience. How did you guys find this, I guess, this question of being game designers and making the choices that you want to make as games designers, but also going, well, actually, you know, we're limited by technology or what we're trying to reflect in a realistic way? I think it's a, a bit difficult to, to explain exactly because there's no real technique. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, there's no technical process to get to how does a designer decide when it's okay. You know, so it, it has a lot to do with uh, uh, your experience, your intuition, and your creativity, of course. So it's, uh, everything is uh, an approximation in some way of, of something real. But of course, you have to bend the rules. So what we did in, in Terramars, as an example, is we started and studied real scientific elements. But of course, there are some things that we cannot bring to a game in that way because they're going to be terrible. I mean, <laughs> 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 they're going to be extremely annoying <laughs> and boring like that. So you try to figure out which are the main characteristics that uh, um, characterize this thing that you want to show. And then it's, it's your experience and your intuition in understanding how and where you should stop. So in, as a very practical example for us, uh, the, our characters are affected by their permanence on the planet. So they can either feel sick because uh, there's some physical in illness that uh, they have, or because of prolonged isolation and because you as a player don't manage them very well, they can get also some mental illnesses. So, of course, I, I cannot have a mental illness work exactly like they do in the real world. So, first of all, because the player needs to be able to tell if someone has depression, one of the characters. So, and in the real world, that's not so easy to understand. Mm. So, it's not something like that. You see someone and you understand they, they have depression. So, we need to find a way so that the, the player can understand that the character has something that's wrong. Of course, and then the camera in your game is kind of is top down, is it not? Yeah, top down yeah. fixed camera. So in our case, the characters have changed behavior. So they either have change in their animation, like, like, like slouched uh, posture, and they, they start saying things which uh, should ring a bell that something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you have to treat the mental illness, of course, uh, it has to be simplified. So we want to, to, to reflect what's, what actually happens in real life. So it's not like you go to the doctor and, oh, yeah, take this pill and you're cured, because it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So you need to go constantly to see the, the base doctor mm -hmm. and get treatment. But um, in, real, in the real life, in the real world, it can take months and months of treatment and therapy. And of course, we cannot do that in the game. So it's like every n hours, you have to get the character back to, to see the doctor. It's a process of compromise based on what your, your core design is. Um, with Winter Hall, we found that uh, because, we were because it's a first-person game, so you are kind of experiencing or meant to experience what happened in the plague, it's a, it's a tricky one because we want to focus on the stories of the villagers in this uh, kind of 14th century English village. But technically speaking, it's, it's a challenge to show lots of characters on the screen. 
and it's budgetarily it's very difficult as well because character art is expensive and character animation is expensive. So for us, um, we came up with an uh, a kind of style for the characters where they kind of look ghostly and they've kind of got stone masks for faces instead of looking at real people. That means we don't have to do any facial animation. It means we can get away with a lot more vagueness in the animations because we, we generally just use stock walking animations mm -hmm. and we fade it off the bottom of the legs so you don't <laughs> see them touching the ground. So we didn't have to do IK or anything. Yeah, yeah. And it was... That's really smart. Athletic choice. Absolutely. You make these design decisions and I think it's, I think it's good to have the limits on what, you're, what you can do because that generates creativity in your game design. So that has probably been one of the hardest things in Winterhall is to make sense uh, when you interact with people that the player gets what they're expecting and understands what is going on and feels like these characters in the game are worth connecting with, worth developing some sort of empathy with. Mm. How's it been working particularly with your researchers on that in kind of finding that meaning? In yeah, so our researchers were all um, connect, are all connected to this project in Cambridge where they uncovered a medieval graveyard uh, where they found uh, many, many buried people uh, there who were generally from a lower strata of society. Now, it wasn't a plague pit or anything like that. It was, you know, they were properly buried. But by analysing the bones, um, they could figure out how the people died and also how the people lived. And that was the kind of crucial thing for them is trying to figure out what kind of general state of health they were in. They could tell if they had had a broken leg in the past because the bones had refused or whatever. So they, it was really, really interesting going to see them and talking about this kind of thing. One of our researchers was, was also was a historian. He's called Professor John Hatcher. And he wrote a book which was almost like a kind of uh, fantasy science book where he had imagined the lives of um, people in a medieval village when the plague came. And so his, he had been through this process of trying to grab facts out of very, very limited evidence because there's no written records and all the oral history has died out. So he kind of tried to work out, and we tried to have, have to work out what the stories could have been. Um, and that was, that was really, really fascinating, and it felt like we were going over the same ground, so his input really helped there. Were, were there any insights that your researchers provided that have dramatically changed the mechanics or the game in a way that you wouldn't have had had you not met them or worked with them? I think the, the wrong way to approach any of these projects would have been to consider your researchers as someone to answer questions and say, oh, we want to fact check. Do seeds do this? Blah, blah, blah. It's more about kind of involving the project and just talking to them about it regularly and then saying, oh, this would be a great idea, this is a thing, and it'd be opening your, opening your mind to an area that you didn't realize existed. So I spoke about the radium clock thing earlier. We, we didn't, that wasn't a plan at the start of the game. That came about as a conversation and when Helen said, oh, you never know, this crazy thing that this guy did, and it's like, it plants the seed huh, of, a, um, of, a, just a, of something that becomes a gameplay mechanic. As game designers, you kind of go, something sort of jumps across the synapse, and you go, oh, that's really interesting, because we can interpret that through this medium as, as it's, it's a thing a player can do. It's a, it's a task a player can be asked. It's a kind of action that can exist in the kind of loop of what, what games are. Um, but they won't necessarily see that, and it's really interesting to kind of bring that stuff to life. 
what do you guys want to see from games and games design in the next five years? I think in general, there's a, it feels like there's a lot of stagnation, if that's a word in English, uh, especially in the, in the big budget games. So we keep seeing more or less always the same type of games. Also, I mean, of course, there's always some sort of archetypes and characters and characterizations and so on, and they keep repeating themselves. I mean, some things have been changing and so on, but we keep seeing more or less always the same stuff. We could draw more from more cultures and more insights that we can have because we, otherwise we keep telling more or less the same stories in some way or another. Um, so there's so much more that we could be talking about with games. I think that smaller games like independent games and so on tend to be more brave, of course. I mean, of course we have like more freedom and we, we risk because we, we do risk every time we, we make a game, but compared to the big budget games. I understand it's a different type of investment and different type of risk that we take. What about you guys? What would you like to see in the next five years? So VR is a new technology and um, as a kind of percentage of like the market share of games that get made, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but um, vastly, you know, what, what percentage of games that come out on Steam every year now are VR games? You know, t a tiny percentage. So there's thousands of games that get released on well, Steam, aren't there? There's a very really small amount of games, yeah. and there are also yeah. small yeah. games. Yeah, and there's yeah. small games, yes, and, right. and um, publishers are perhaps less willing to put big budgets behind them because the market, the the, the, the people who have the amount of people who have the headsets, and therefore the amount of people who can possibly pay for them, mm -hmm. to pay for the larger experiences, aren't there. So it's a kind of problem that there needs to be more audience engagement with the tech um, to kind of facilitate larger and bigger and kind of maybe better experiences. Um, so yeah, I I hope that there's there I hope that I hope that the kind of the VR gamble like works, basically. And I'm really excited about the next the next kind of proper generation of VR headsets mm. where they're wireless and stuff like that and smaller form factor and things. Um, that will I guess be along in what, two, three, four years maybe? Yeah. So I hope that, that I hope that, that and it is a kind of gamble. I hope that all kind of works and doesn't just fade away. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I'm, I very much agree with what uh, Elisa and um, Ollie said. Uh, it's, it's big studios. They do, you know, they take on massive risks when they make big projects, and, and I can understand why uh, they do start making the same thing. They it's do start proven success. Exactly. Proven yeah. successful, they, so they've got to find they their they find their secret sauce and they stick to it because that's what they hope will make them the money back. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel like all indies are, have to be disruptive, but at the same time, that's where, the, that's where the, the most interesting new stories in games are coming from and the, the most interesting diversity in new games uh, because I think the, the barriers to entry are, they're very variable it's quite rare to get a, have an opportunity like Developing Beyond where you can pitch almost a paper design for a game mm. and say, this is the game we want to make, and then get that picked. It's vanishingly rare, that kind of funding nowadays. Uh, most games, you have to have the time to create a demo, and, or at the very least, uh, and then take that to publishers to get the money, unless you happen to be uh, independently wealthy, in which case 
it's one of the best ways to get rid of, to stop being independently wealthy, <laughs> is to make an independent video game. Um, so the, 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 the actions of um, any organizations that can help get more independent games made, I think is really, really important just to keep the industry healthy and to bring new ideas in. Because you do see the ideas that independent games have come up with appearing in big budget AAA games. Uh, it's because, you know, why wouldn't you? Because independent, independent developers have come up with some incredible new ideas and new gameplay mechanics. Um, I think it's just an ongoing evolution in the language of storytelling and whatever not storytelling is in, in games where we're developing new ways to make games and uh, experience them. Thank you so much for your time, guys. If you want to know more about BAFTA initiatives, such as scholarships and BAFTA Guru aimed at career starters, you can find more information at BAFTA.org. But that's all for now. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Yes.